beautiful. Sometimes our defining moments give us shame. Tubalemye Mutwale was living a fairy tale life when she moved to a new country to study until it became a nightmare with an abusive partner. You are listening to the Africana Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Chulu. Every week, I ask an Africana woman to invite us into her home to give us a snapshot into what happens behind her closed doors. I hope you will join me on this journey of discovery, revelation, and self-awareness. I'm not going to lie. It may become uncomfortable sometimes. However, I encourage you to push past your unease and challenge yourself to think differently. The simple act of expanding yourself to receive the unknown may be transformational for you. You are going to love Tuba. She is so bubbly and funny. (laughs) We will be touching on a sensitive topic of um, gender-based violence. And I just want to say there's a trigger warning. If you are not in the right state of mind to hear this, I do suggest that you skip this episode. Although I must say, even though the topic is heavy, the way we addressed it is in a very light manner. Here is my conversation with Tuba. Tuba, or Tubalemye Bayawe for short, is a communications specialist with a deep love for travel, language, natural hair, ice cream, gardens, fruit, and Jane the Virgin. If her parents were billionaires, Tuba would have studied African sociology and psychology and would have spent hours on end analyzing the ways Nigerians differ from Ghanaians, who differ from Rwandese, who differ from Malawians. Tuba is now navigating life between Lusaka and Kitwe, having spent the last decade in South Africa. Listen, guys, I am so excited to have this lady on the podcast today. Uh, I'll tell you how we met. (laughs) So she is like the funniest person. I don't even, I think it was like on the the blog. She was just like putting these comments and I was cracking up. You know, when you say LOL, like literally laughing out loud, not just putting the word LOL. I was dying. I was like, this chick is funny. I need someone like this in my life. I was like, hello, ma'am. I would like to get to know you and be friends. <laughs> you shot your friendship shot. I'm glad you did. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, I will be your friend. <laughs> so, Tuba, oh, welcome to the Africana Woman podcast. I am so excited you're here. Uh, I just you. love I'm talking to you. So, Me too. I'm, I'm glad we're doing this. Yes, yes. Okay, so oof, where do we start? Okay, so first of all, girl. I love that all, a lot of the things that you love are things that I love. And I'm like, this is why we are friends. Travel, so. you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, girl, ice cream. Do you know that in South Korea, they have a 30 centimeter ice cream? And that's like, I know, right? Like, I'll send you a picture. I was like, I need to go to South Korea. That That's my motivation. For yes, I'm adding South Korea to my list now. It wasn't ever, but 36 years ago, right? Like, legit. I was like, what? And then gardens and fruit, girl, girl, natural hair, girl. Like, (laughs) that's why we're friends. Come on now. (laughs) We're okay. I know, right? Is there anything Mm -hmm. else that maybe you wasn't on the bio? Like, yeah, I should know about you. Books. Mm. Did I say I love books? 
Ah, oh, you didn't. Yes, because you have a challenge this year, don't you? Yeah, I've had this challenge since 2019. I've been reading. Every time I read a book, I upload it on my Insta. And 2019, I read 26 books. 2020, wow. I think I went up to 28 books. This year, I'm on book number 11. Well done. Almost Moon by Alice yeah. Bolt. So, yes, I'm an How's average reader. I, yeah. in, in high school, my dad would literally... It's going well. I love it. It's a nice, it's just, you know, it's about a mom and a daughter. They have a stri- struggling relationship and then she kills her mom. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Plot twist. Didn't see that coming, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. That's what I said. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm like halfway through. I'll give you a little review when I'm done, but so far, so good. Okay. You're saying in high school, you or did you always have like a book in your face like this? You used to walk like this? Always. So my dad <laughs> would literally have to sit with me and study at night, like grade 12. Oh, because wow. left to my own, I would have a textbook and then I have a, a novel inside the textbook and I'd be reading. So my dad would have to stay up with me to make sure that I'm studying. <laughs> I know we used to live in a house um that was you know it had like it was an upstairs house a flat mm-hmm. and um like my mom would call me and then I would be coming down the stairs like you know when you're sitting and you're coming down one bum at it like one step oh at a time my on my bum and I'm like I've got the bags going down <laughs> and she's just like why? How Why have I been for that? Exactly. That was probably wow. This was like in primary, so like eleven. I don't know, like yeah, know. ten, nine, somewhere there. And yeah. I'd be like this, stacking, just going down. <laughs> what are you doing? What is wrong with you? Oh, but anyway, um, yeah, that's so cool. I think that I just never, um, like, I love books. And I don't know why, but I, I like right now, it's so hard for me to really get into a book, but I guess it's almost like movies. I really like just soft material, but I've been trying okay. to like challenge myself with more challenging books because we were like, oh, you should read this. You should read this. And then I start reading it. I start getting stressed and I'm like, no, I can't so do this. Like internalize yeah, everything. Exactly. Exactly. I need me a nice romantic comedy that I can just yeah. cackle and giggle and then I'm good. Like I will literally finish that book in like a day, two days, but give me something. Give you something harder, like, Nah, you wouldn't read the books that I like to read then. Mm-mm. So I like <laughs> books that are set in Africa, mm-hmm. in India, the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. No, I don't do wars and I don't do the Holocaust. I don't do them. I don't do the right. movies either. Mm-mm. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So comedy is for you. Yeah, definitely. Like, I want to go to a space and laugh. Or cry, like you know what I mean. But a good cry, you know that, you know that nice good cry. Exactly. Not like, not like oh my god, this happened in real life. Oh my god, what can I do to save the world? No, 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 I'm not trying to do all of that. But anyway, um, <laughs> girl. Okay, so tell us, you've been in South Africa for the last ten years, and mm-hmm. as a I mean, there's so many. Okay, first of all, okay, I shouldn't say this. Okay, I'll just say it. Go for it. But guys, don't tell me. I know, right? And and I I don't like to say it as you've heard, but I'm scared of South Africa, hey? Oh, here we go again. I know, right? Exactly. I apologize on her behalf. (laughs) 
that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't, I didn't want to say it, but like South Africans, I've got some really good South African friends um, who I did not meet in South Africa. I like met like in different parts of the world, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm just scared of South Africa. And I mean, there's so many things that, you know, I mean, the way the, 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 the crime is, is um, what you call it is, is uh magnified i guess yeah on, right on on media and stuff like that. i mean there's crime everywhere but you know it's like magnified and then um i think for me the worst thing that i'm scared of is the um uh, xenophobia xenophobia right yeah. yeah so i'm just like south africa i'm not too sure guys because people go there and they're like ah we're staying here for life shiny mm. this is it and i'm like mm, these people who will turn on you <laughs> any moments i ah, know oh, okay so man. talk to me about this like I need to yeah, understand. Very valid uh, points and fears that you have, to be honest. But <laughs> like you said, it's just also a thing of hyper-reporting. Like they really, the crime does exist a lot in South Africa. But I was there for 10 years. I got mugged only once. Again, I don't know if I'm showing South Africa in its best light, saying only once. <laughs> I'm like, I shouldn't get mugged, you know? I shouldn't. <laughs> oh, right. It shouldn't be a talking point that it only happened once. <laughs> but there's just a lot of hyper-reporting about the crime yeah. that happens in South Africa. You know, it's a very visible country. It's a very visible, it's in a visible place, you know, very, lots of tourism going on there. So, of course, there's a lot of stories that come out of that place. Um, mm-hmm. And some places aren't safe, just like you would have in Osaka. There's certain places you, you know, shouldn't go around flashing your phone, you know, you have cash. It's the same in Joburg, you know. You should follow a Twitter thread, like CBD Twitter, like Central Business District of South Africa, CBD Twitter, and just like look at the rules, how to behave in the CBD. It's so funny. It's like, don't wear your best clothes. You should mean mug your face. Walk really fast. Don't use your head to turn. If you're lost, just use your eyes. Like, <laughs> don't look lost, basically. I know. That's crazy. <laughs> but, just, but, like, because I, I, I went and I was in South Africa for a fellowship for about, um, I think it was about a month or so. And, Tuba, like, when I came back and I went to the, the, the what's this? I went to the supermarket, right? And then I actually realized, like, oh, I can walk around with my phone and I can be texting. And I'm like, because when we in South Africa, they were like, guys, do not do that. They are looking at you. And I'm like, no, right? Like, what kind of life is this all? Right. <laughs> and it, it just felt so strange. Like, I just felt like, oh, I can actually be relaxed when I'm outside. So I don't know. It was very, it was very, very weird. Right. You see, and nothing happened to you. You were there for how long? a month but it was a very um protected space so it's not like i wouldn't say like let's say i really experienced um you know Mm. like going out and stuff like that like they wouldn't let us you know they wouldn't let exactly they wouldn't let us go out unsupervised and things like that but i'll tell you what the 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 day we arrived because it was like um you know there's a multitude of people going there and the bus that went before us to the hotel they were mugged when the bus was entering the hotel. Yikes. 
right? Okay. So they, all the stuff was stolen, da-da-da, anyway, right? So we were there waiting for a bus to pick us up, but then it, had take, it was taking long, and we we're just like, oh, this is really taking long, even getting like, irritated and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then anyway, when we get there, we find that we come and hear that, oh, they were actually mugged um, before um, we arrived. So, I mean, thank God I wasn't in that bus, but... <laughs> but yeah. yeah okay those things happen yeah mm-hmm. so it's either like in very high-end areas like that or in the cbd so you want to strike mm-hmm. a happy balance of where you hang out and really mm-hmm. what were you doing in south africa though so i went to study i went first for university i went five days before i turned 17 so i went when oh. i was 16 year old yeah yep i went to study i studied public relations and business admin and then in my final year, I got an internship that then turned into a job. They offered me a job. So my plan was always to come back. I never thought I'd like stay there. And I was like, okay, after four years, I'm going back home. I'm going to start my life there. <clears throat> and then they offered me a job, a permanent job. And I was like, this is a pretty sweet deal. So I took it. And at that time, it also coincided with the fact that I was, you know, in a, what I considered then a serious relationship. So that also heavily made me heavily biased my decision to stay mm. so it was a job it was you know a relationship personal issues so I decided to stay on and from 2014 until 2020 yeah I worked there so first four years was me being a student and then the last six years was me being a young professional Mm, mm. which one was better <laughs> oh my goodness you know they both both of them had their highs and lows I particularly yeah. enjoyed 2014 in my final year that was a fun year I made yeah. so many new friends I learned so much new so much stuff about new food and it was really fun I had I think that was like the culmination of me being a student Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Joburg, you know, to start work. Then it was like, okay, this is pretty cool too. I'm a Joburger. <laughs> so yeah, I enjoyed both aspects. It was fun. Yeah. So did you link up with like the Zambian community whilst you were there? Or, you know, or you're just like, listen, I'm going to do my own thing. Right? Yeah, the latter. I never, I never, ever hang out with the Zambian community. And not for lack of trying. I think we just got that active there. I was a member of Zasa, Zambian, Zambian in South Africa, but they rarely met. And when they did, it was usually like the, the leader, the leadership would like me. They were more policy and advocacy focused than mm. us mm. together. And again, mm. there's so many issues, like especially immigration, that they needed to help people sort out. So that's what they, they were focused on, in my opinion. And then I just never made like many personal relationships. Like in university, it was just, we went to a, a tiny university called the Val, Val University of Technology, or VUT. And we were at any given point, maybe like six or seven Zambians. At one point, four of those Zambians were me and my three siblings. So mm. we, didn't, we didn't really have a lot of Zambians at that university. Things are changing slowly, but it's still not, it's still one of the lesser known ones. So yeah. I didn't have yeah, many Zambian friends from there. Moved to Joburg. A lot of Zambians lived in Kempton Park near the airport. I lived all the way in the north um, near Santon. And I mean, they were, they obviously were. If you had know, I just never found any. Sometimes when like Gesh Guru would come to, to play at News Cafe, I always went for those. Like when he's playing, I'm there. And when he's there, then I like meet so many Zambians. I'm like, where are you guys? Where you guys hang out? Right. <laughs> but yeah, that was like the extent of my relationships with other Zambians there. 
Mm. So who did you hang out with? Like what, what kept you busy? What are the things that you loved most about living in Joburg? Oh, just living in Joburg. There's so much to do. So much so yeah. that Joburg can actually become your own. It can become like a small town because you just find your niche and that's what you do. You almost don't even veer out of your, your immediate area or, you know, wherever your interests are. It can actually become like a really small town. So I <clears throat> I went shopping a lot. <laughs> so I hung out with my <laughs> really close friend, Tessa. Um, <clears throat> we met when I was when I, at the same first job that I had there. And she heard me talking to my then boyfriend in Pigeon. And then she's like, oh, I didn't realize you're a Nigerian. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just talking to my boyfriend. But I'm like, but I was like, then how do you understand it? You know, she was a Jewish girl, white Jewish girl. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. you know, pigeon? It's like, oh, my boyfriend is Nigerian. So I'm like, what? That is interesting. So we bonded on that. And then we had four beautiful years of friendship. We did everything together. We went shopping together. We went, we hang out together. So yeah, a lot. I, I know Santa City, the shopping mall, like the back of my hand, because she loved going there. And I ended up loving hanging out there as well. And I knew it so much. So we'd shop a lot. We'd also eat. We tried out dishes from everywhere across Africa. We'd go to Somali restaurants. We'd go to Ethiopian restaurants, Nigerian, of course. To date, sometimes when I'm craving, like, home food, sometimes it's not even Ishima. It's like, oh, I want to go see Eba, you know. So <laughs> she did that. <laughs> There's a lot of restaurant hopping and clubbing. We went clubbing a lot. Of course, girl. Of course. Me too. <laughs> so... Okay, tell me about this pigeon. Is it easy to pick up? Like Absolutely. as you learn? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the first thing you do is just sprinkle day in there, like you sprinkle white, waiting, matuna day, you know, stuff like that. Those little um, filler words. And then mm. you pick it up, it's easy. It's really just English. Twisted English, really. Broken English. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Interesting, yeah, interesting. <laughs> Alrighty, so I think, what do you think was a challenge about living um, in another country as a foreigner? Just the lack of immediate family support. Mm. Like, that's one of the decisions, that's one of the things that led to my decision to come back was just like, I've been missing out on so much community. I got used to you know, when I'm sick, I'm all alone. You know, my friend would come over mm. and like, she, they should have to leave. You know, I, I even forgot what it's like to have somebody take care of you when you're not well, you know, and just like be there with you, be there for you. I like normalized crying myself to sleep each time I'm sick. And then now when I've been back, I've had the flu twice. I didn't cry myself to sleep. I'm like, oh, that wasn't normal then. That was a normal reaction. So yeah. the, the immediate lack of support, um, also, I think that's what led to, not, not really led, but that's maybe perhaps that's what maybe led to me staying in an abusive relationship is because I didn't have people around me that could maybe notice, that knew me well enough to notice that something is up and perhaps, you know, advise me, people that cared enough to advise me and say like, you know, you should leave or they've noticed like, you know, you're not okay, what's going on with you? So again, it just goes back to the lack of immediate community and support. Yeah. So, okay. So tell us a little bit more about um, when you say abusive relationship, you know, I guess, uh, how did it, how did it start? And 
I feel, yeah, okay, just, yeah, tell us a little bit more about that. Because, you know, yeah, I feel like so, most people, like, who get into an abusive relationship, it doesn't start off that way. You know what I mean? Like, it starts off, like, way really good. And then it's just like, oh, is this what we're doing? Like, right. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, it was classic textbook, just like that. You know, met this nice guy, really caring. You know, he'd bring me groceries when I was, when I was still staying on campus. Then I'm like, what? This this a thing? Guys do this? I've never had a guy do this for me. So that was really nice. And then we started to go into a relationship. And I'm really good with dates. So I remember dates and numbers and stuff like that. So it was 7th September, 2014. And I was sitting in the car waiting for him to finish a church. He was a staunch Christian. So waiting for him to finish a church. And then I had his phone. And on the phone pops up a message from another girl. Like, oh, hey, baby. I'm like, oh, baby. But mm. I'm the baby in this relationship. Mm. So, you know, I, when he comes back, I confront him about it. And he's like, don't, you don't go looking for what you can't handle. I'm like, what? And yeah, he's, he's like, I don't go looking for stuff if you can't handle it. So then he slaps me that same night. And that's just how it started. Like, oh, look at what, well, then he began to apologize and say, oh, look at what you're doing, making me do. And that, that characterized the entirety of our relationship. It would be me trying not to look for what I can't handle. And then, you know, me still triggering him enough to hurt me. And then him making me apologize for what I've made him do. So that first time that he slapped you, like, what was running in your mind? The words literally were like, oh, my gosh. And like Rihanna, because, you know, the story of Rihanna being hit by Chris Brown was still fresh in our minds. And I'm like... I'm like, Rihanna, I'm getting hit. And I found a strange sense of comfort in that. I'm like, well, happens to the best of us. I know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I mean, you know, if this can happen to Rihanna, then, I mean, I think it can happen to me as well. It's normal, I guess. So you didn't think that, let me leave? Because I'd be like, friend, I'm out of here. (laughs) First day. First day, I was like. One touch, I had no. No and, case. you know, I obviously was upset and he yeah, apologized yeah. and I was like, yeah, this is, you know, it's fine. He's not going to do it again. I didn't think to leave the first day, actually the first couple of times, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then how long did, like, okay, so from the time that you had started da- dating, when did this start? So we started dating in about April and then mm-hmm. this started in September. So mm-hmm. yeah, maybe six months, I guess. Okay. Yeah, and then how long so were you? September. A year and three months in total. So I left him in Feb of 2016. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, I guess what... What, okay, so I, what, what do you remember um, as being the, the turning point for you thinking, okay, no, I need to get out of this? Oh, it was gradual. It was gradual. But when, I, when he pushed me down a flight of stairs, then I was like, oh, Tuva, you're going back to Zambia in a body bag. This ain't it. So, but then I knew myself. I've always been kind of fairly self-aware. So I knew that if I leave him before I'm ready, I'm just going to go back. Like I needed to hate him so that I can leave and never come back. So I waited. 
and I gambled and I would never, ever, ever advise anybody to do that because I was literally gambling with my life. He would strangle mm-hmm. me and he would lock me out of the house sometimes in the cold and, you know, he would hit me, throw me down. The throwing me down a flight of stairs happened twice and he did that and I could have broken my neck. I could have come back. I could have come back as a corpse, you know, but I was still waiting for that moment when I would snap and it did happen and I just, I was waiting for that to happen and then I knew I'd leave. And never look back. Okay, sorry, I'm just trying to wrap this around my mind because you said you're waiting for you to hate him. I'm like, girl, (laughs) be the first one. It's like, I hate you, boo. Like, "Ah, what? Um, Wow, wow, okay. So, like, you have said that, you know, okay, first he started with a slap. He's thrown you down the stairs. He strangled you. He, what else did he do? And is it, um, like, none of your friends noticed? Nope. He was crazy. He was like, yeah, I'm not going to leave a mark on your body. Like, I will never hit you to a point where people see it. Like, mm-hmm. it will just be only you and I will know. And none of my friends would have believed it. When we were out at a fry, he would literally feed me, like cut up, you know, meat and feed me. And he'd hang out, you know, like, you know how the natural order of things are at the fry. At fry's like, ladies are making salad and the guys are like doing the meat. And he would always be where the ladies are with me. And my friends are like, oh, you know, this guy really loves you. I'm like, save me. But yeah, I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> But, oh, you know, like, yeah, yeah, he does, I guess. And yeah, I had twice to convince myself a lot as well. Yeah. Like, but like, okay, so you had started dating when you were in college, right? Yeah. And then you, and that, that was the time you graduated. So then what happened? You found your own place? Like, what was the story? No, 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 no. Then, like I said, when we first met, I was living on campus. Like, I made a point to mention that because after I finished uni, he was like, oh, you you should move in with me. And I was like, uh, okay, I guess. It was. I mean, I was spending most of my time with him anyway. Like, my last semester, even though I really, really enjoyed uni, like, my last year, but I was never on campus. I was, like, mm. party and then go back to his place, go out and then go back to his place. So I was practically moved in already. And then um, we, I tried to find a place in Joburg, but it was so expensive. Then I was on an entry-level salary. And I was like, he's like, you don't have to do this. You know, just come stay with me. I'll give you my car. So he gave mm-hmm. me his car and I would drive, you know, to and from work 83 kilometers one way. I was in a constant state of exhaustion. I was always tired. And sometimes I'd come back and be a punching bag. And yeah. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm just going to throw this one in really quickly. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm just being Good. scandalous. But like, you moved in with a man, Tuba. Like, <laughs> what did your parents <laughs> Don't tell my mom. Oh my goodness, they didn't know. Well, when they came for my graduation in 2015, my mom mm-hmm. traveled with my brother. And my brother was so suspicious. He's like, you live in a two-bedroom house? I'm like, yeah, that's really cheap here. Because, <laughs> you know, it's like living it's like living in Kitwe. We lived in, in a town called Freyenachim. 
small, mm-hmm. not small, but you know, mining, mine, no, farming town. Yeah. So life really was considered considerably cheaper than Joburg. But he was like, oh, okay, how much do you pay? And I told him what I paid, what what my ex paid. And then he's like, oh, this is a really nice um TV sound system that you have. I'm like, yeah, I got it on Groupon. Yeah, he was like, I think he wasn't buying my story. But my mom, oh, she was excited. She was telling her friends, yeah. Tuba stays here. She lives in South Africa. She has a house. <laughs> so what we had done is we had taken everything that belongs to him. My ex, his shoes, you know, his clothes, everything. And we moved them all to his friend's house. And they kept yeah. him there for like a week. <laughs> he moved with his friend. And then I was it just lived, it's like I live alone. So <laughs> oh my goodness. Right. Okay, okay, okay. Now let's go, let's go. So you finally, so you are waiting for your, as you said, you're waiting to snap and hate him before you can actually move. So what made you snap? And then what did you do after that? Oh, goodness, my favorite story to tell. <laughs> but what made me stop, like, it was just, I don't even remember what was the, the straw that broke the camel's back or whatever that mm. thing is. Mm. But I remember it was after a party once and he had drank Black Label. To date, I don't like seeing that beer because it really made him violent. Like, it made him the most violent. And we'd go into a party and then he was, like, you know, accusing me of cheating because another guy was looking at me. You know, it's almost like very cliche, actually, you know, how how it was. And I was just like, actually, I think this is it. I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like, yes, there's so many good parts, but this, this definitely outweighs everything, outweighs any slight positive that there could be. So I needed to plan my exit quietly. So I started looking, you know, online. I went to, I started looking for a place and I found one and I told the guy, I'm like, yo, I don't know when I'll be able to move. You know, I just always open about him with my situation. I paid a deposit and then my ex found out. He found those messages. And that day he locked me in a room from about 10 a.m. to perhaps four or five. And he hit me the whole day. He had my phone, so I couldn't reach anybody. And he would like go out and take small breaks and then come back. And yeah, that's when I was like, okay. Now we need to expedite our plan. Like we have to leave. I have to leave. I, I talk to myself like a wee. But yeah, like I wait, have wait, to leave. Hold up. He locked you in a room mm-hmm. and then he was just hitting you from yep. what, like what time again? 10 in the morning to uh-huh. maybe four or five. Were you like, were you like somebody who like also tries to hit back or you were I just like. not to fight back. I learned early on, like, it's just best to take it, and then he stop. Was he, like, a big guy? Like, was he tall? Like, Like, not even. Maybe he was, like, 1.7 meters and five foot something. Mm -hmm. And not a a big guy at all. Slim guy, even. Mm. And, yeah, so there was, it's not, it wasn't, like, a feel. No, he wasn't physically big. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He just okay. implanted this fear. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it was, there was something in your mindset that like just wouldn't, didn't allow you to move. I was broken. I was, yeah. I was, I was broken. I was a shell of myself. I was not okay. 
you know, and I just, I stayed because I'm like, I mean, he's the only one that can comfort me anyway. He's like, it was weird. Like he'd hit me, but he's still the only one that I want to be with after all these episodes. So I definitely was broken. And yeah, I, I, I know, I, I think it's just like very classic abused girl behavior, broken down girl behavior. I was 21 at the time and he was 37. So there was also a very, you know, a very huge imbalance in our age. Of course, I didn't even know his real age. When we met, he's like, oh, I'm 30. And when I sent a a pic to my sister, she was like, this man is not 30 years old to that. This is, he's way older than than he he says he is. And I'm like, nah, I don't think so. You know, he's Nigerian. They just, they look really gruff, you know? But yeah, no, he was actually 16 years older than me. I had no idea until like, way into the relationship and his, his, his excuse oh but I didn't want you to leave me because I had already fallen for you I thought you'd have left so even like these other girls like the ones which you had found that you know he was conversating with and things like that they were still in the picture this whole time oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. they were they were and a lot of them would be like oh what do you expect you know we we share men You know, where are you going to leave and go where? Mm. Okay, tell me about the religion part. Because you said he was a staunch Christian. Christian man. Huh? He was a staunch Christian man. I think talking in tongues and mm. talking the words. He would preach even. At some point, he was Which like, time is it? Which spirit was speaking for him? him? Yay, yay. Also me, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Also me, I don't know, hey? Mm-hmm. Okay. And he was like, yeah, you know, he went to a Pentecostal church. I, I, I maintain going to a Baptist church, but sometimes I'd go with him, you know, just because. And yeah, he was really active in the church. Like the pastor would call him like, yo, you know, come help me with this. You know, you know, when you're like daddy's boy. And they did call their pastor daddy. So he was quite literally daddy's boy. So... <laughs> Yeah, he was that kind of guy. So how do you, I mean, what do you feel about that? Like someone who, um, you know, is so deeply entrenched in, in Christianity and then they have that type of behavior. What do you, how do you reconcile it, that? Oh, I, I, don't personally actually put me off put me off Christianity um, and just that whole I just thought it was a charade hey? and I'd look mm-hmm. at other you know members high members that are high in, in positions and the, the lives they were living as well I was like this can't be it you know so 2015 when I left 2016 it was there was so much change for me I had just left this relationship and I also started this journey of deconstructing my own faith which is still ongoing it's almost like a never-ending journey mm-hmm. but that I think was a catalyst also I just I could not be in the same institution as this guy who does these atrocious acts to me and other women and you know still be esteemed you know in the church mm-hmm. I was like nah this, this isn't it I had, you know, other questions that just weren't answered, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm like, why would this happen to me? You know, not to take like a victim mindset, but like, you know, why why would this happen to me? And I just didn't find the right, the answers that I thought were right for myself. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. So you've been locked up. We're going back. 
um, you've been locked up, you know, um, for the whole day and he's been, he's been violent against you the whole day. Then what happened after that? Um, and then like a switch, he just stopped and then he starts crying and he's like, I'm sorry, but also look at what you made me do. Why would you want to leave me? I've given yes. you, I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've given you my car and he always had a tally of the things that he did. I've given you my car. I do, I, I pay the rent in this place. I always provide, I do, I even do your laundry. I even cook. How many girls come home from work? I don't have to cook. You don't have to deal with any of that. I don't even know what you do with your money. I never ask for it. Like, why would you want to leave this? I am a broken man. But, you know, it's because you do these things to me that I, I you know, I react like this. Yeah. It was my fault that he had locked me in a room. And he, so he always had a tally of all the things that he did. And he would just like regurgitate them. And we would do the same dance. I would cry and be upset. And then he'd ask forgiveness. And then... I'd understand, but that night, that night I was just playing along. I'm like, no, I'm leaving. I'm going to intensify my efforts to find a place. I, you know, like, so anyway, that house, I ended up losing it, you know, because then he would make, like, maybe cut off communication with that guy. So then I asked, I had to ask my other friend, my one friend, the same, um, the same girl, the Jewish girl that I was talking about, I think she may have known, like, I used to hint to her, like, yeah, sometimes, sometimes he like, can get a bit rough. You know, but I never said this guy hits me. But I think she knew. So then I asked her to then start looking, like if I could use her phone to use, to communicate with other landlords. So then I started using her phone so that, you know, he has no idea of what I'm doing. So I started intensifying my, my search for another place, found it, and then she would talk to them. Like I would talk to them on my friend's phone. And yeah, again, I was open with them. I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to be able to move, but actually I'm, I'm happy to pay rent until such a time when I can move. So that was, I was, that was my month. Then I had reached the point where if I didn't leave, I was probably going to stab him. I was going to go to jail for murder. So I had to leave. Okay, so you found a place? I did. Found a place, okay. told the girl... You know my situation again and she understood thankfully and then one weekend he had gone he's like oh i'm gonna see my cousin i'm gonna be i'm gonna come back you know on the friday he left on the thursday he's like i'm gonna see my cousin i'll come back on, on the next day friday he didn't come back on friday on friday and i just knew he wasn't with his cousin he was with another lady he had gone to pretoria so i was like this is my chance so i called my friend over um, my friend Jemima, she came over, Jemima came over and she's like, I was like, you have to help me pack. I'm leaving tonight. So we packed up my stuff, everything, took it over to her house because I could only leave. That was now Friday when we were doing this. I could only leave on Monday. I think, I don't know, probably like a truck, problem with the truck or something. I don't know. But I could only go to the new place on Monday, but I needed to leave. So we packed up everything, took it to her place and then she's like, let's cut up his clothes. I'm like, yeah, actually, let's do some damage. Oh, and we wrecked havoc on his place. We he really loved fashion. Like he me, I'm not a fashionista. I don't know style or anything, but he like he used to dress up really well. He had really nice clothes and we cut up everything. We cut up all his clothes, including what was in the washing basket. And then we took the beddings. I gave her the beddings. Like, do you want the beddings? You can take them. She took the beddings. We, you know, poured cooking oil on the carpet. We broke the whatever I couldn't take I gave away or broke 
like the washing machine was huge. So I went and like dug with a nail cutter or something and dug the little buttons out. And then I took the microwave and I dumped it in the bathtub and then I switched on the tub and just drowned the microwave in there and cut the cords, cut, you know, the TV again was too big. So I just like slammed it on the floor and it broke. Yeah, we ripped up the curtains. In all of this, what are your neighbors doing? Because I can imagine it's like a ruckus. Oh, no, no, no. We were very calm. Actually, we were just like laughing about it. I was angry, but it wasn't like a scream. No, I know. But then like just the noise. Like imagine you've dumped a TV. Like no one is going to come over. Like never, never. I think it's okay. Nobody used to come over when he would slam my head into a wall. So That's true. Exactly. So they knew those sounds, I guess. And then my friend comes up with the most genius idea. <laughs> oh my gosh, I said her name. I'm sorry. Oops, I should have kept her identity secret. Now everyone knows she's crazy. It was her idea, not mine. I did go with it though. She's like, let us defecate in his pots. I'm like, yes, it's a great idea. Why didn't we think of it? <laughs> so again, <laughs> we took everything in the kitchen, the spices, the food, the other pots, and we left two pots. And each of us went to town. Have you ever tried doing number two in a pot? Yeah. No, girl, no. I, know. I haven't. It's not something that people can say, yes, I've done this before. We did that. And we poured, oh, goodness. We either filled those pots with water and then we boiled. We boiled that. I have never smelled anything more vile in my life. Like that, that house will never smell the same ever again. Like it's been... This is six years now, but I think that's still that uh, that that smell still lingers. So yeah, we did that. Obviously, we had to switch off the stove right before we left. So like we were like gagging and switching off the stove. But I was at that point, like I said, I was I was gonna go to to jail for murder if I didn't leave. Like I was contemplating, how do I get a petrol bomb and just bomb him? I just I I hated him. I got to that point of really dark anger and hate in my heart. And I left and I finally left and he came back on the Sunday and he's like, the first words he said to me were like, oh, so you did it. Come home. Let's fix it. I'm like, me, come there. Ha, you're mad. You still had the phone, you. You didn't change your phone. I still had the same number. I have thrown that same away. Like, anyway, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, he didn't really have much to do. He was undocumented. So I had kind of that advantage. I knew he wouldn't go to the police. Um, you know, South Africa really does struggle with xenophobia and a Nigerian man coming to report that, you know, his girlfriend has done this, they were probably going to ask him for his passport first and then end up deporting him. Um, so, yeah, I think that was, that gave me the kind of confidence that I had because he even knew where I worked. I did tell them at work what was happening, but he knew where I worked. He knew where my friends lived. He had my phone number. But I didn't care. I knew there was really nothing he could do. Mm. So I left, moved to Joburg, broken girl. <sighs> then I cut my hair, as one does when one is <laughs> in a new in a new stage. Yeah. Um, then I started going to therapy and doing yoga and just trying to improve my life. How long? I, I guess. Yeah. How long after you left did you start going to therapy? Oof, the, about oh, maybe two weeks later, so I left mid mid um, Feb, and by the first of March, I was going to therapy. Mm-hmm. My employers then were very very um, helpful. You know, the one paid for the first four sessions, 
And then I think she was friends or something with the therapist. And then the therapist gave me a discount because it wasn't part of my medical aid. My medical aid didn't cover that. So she gave me a discount. And she, like everybody, was just so committed to helping me. And mm. the other one paid for yoga. She's like, oh, yoga helped me when I was going through a divorce. I'm like, it's not a divorce, but, you know, actually it's worse. It felt worse than one. And, yeah, so she, the other one paid for my yoga sessions. And, yeah, I definitely, I say I missed that sense of community, but perhaps it's because I wasn't sharing what I was going through. When I did open up, people came through for me. You know, people really did come through for me. Um, I also did face some backlash and I was ostracized from his church. I mean, I was going to leave anyway, but like nobody believed me. When That's I a stupid, people. sorry. That church is, <laughs> okay, no, I, I know. that kind of thing. I know, Okay, go ahead. Can you see me go using euphemisms? cuss words. <laughs> yeah, they were like, oh, you know, the Mrs. Pastor then was like, is that the only reason that you will leave? I'm like, hey, yes, actually. I was going to die if I didn't leave. So yes, that is the only reason that I would leave, you know? So there was that. And then everyone was just like, but also why did you, then now, I mean, I definitely overreacted in the way that I left. So now I was the bad guy. Like, well, what do you expect? You left like that. You were probably crazy. You were maybe the one even hitting him during this relationship. Yeah. I was like, actually, I don't need any of this. I just cut communication with them. And Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> um, bless you. Bless you, whole church. Right. Like, that's right. all we can say. In Jesus' name, may you be blessed. Moving on. Um, okay, Tuba, help us to understand. Um, you know, what was the, your family background? You know, did you come from a, a home that is, you know, abusive? Did you see something, things like that? Or, because I think a lot of people think that, oh, because someone experienced it before, then they would tolerate it again. And then, you know, especially like you're saying, you are an educated, at that, you know, you're, you're an educated woman, you're an educated woman, but you still found yourself in that situation. Help us understand, talk a little yeah. bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, but these, these things can happen to any and everybody. I grew up in a loving two-parent home. My parents have been married for 48 years this year, and they remain the best example of love that I've ever seen. Like, they are so devoted to each other. Actually, the secret prayer that when they die, they they should just die together, because I don't know how either one of them can live without the other. Like, they do everything together. They are friends. They do, yeah, they absolutely love each other, and you know, we obviously were raised in the Christian faith. So we were raised with these Christian morals and values, you know, be kind to one another. Um, you know, we, we used to, we had this saying, joy, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. So, you know, we're taught to be, you know, giving and, and just, you know, share your gifts with the world. Like I had a really good childhood. I mean, I think I was, it was on your Instagram, one of your Instagram posts when I commented my favorite childhood memories, me sleeping under a mango tree on a Sunday, my mom reading to me and my dad playing the guitar. Like, come on, it's like right out of a story. <laughs> and then I went on to experience that kind of abuse. I had never experienced it at home but I still tolerated it. I accepted it. So, I, you know, I don't have an explanation for it, except I was just broken. And perhaps, you know, the age imbalance, the age difference was like he was grooming me to, to just accept and be with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So what did you discover about yourself in therapy then? What did therapy do for you? Oh, gosh. Um, there were so many layers, actually. So many layers of myself that I had to uncover. Esteem issues. Um, being the youngest, I almost felt like I never had a voice at home because I didn't really need one. You know, everything, decisions were made for me. Um, stuff, if they were not made for me, they were just like made about me. I wasn't really involved in like family affairs because like, where ah, is the baby? So I was used to taking direction from someone. And to date, I actually still am kind of like that. But at least I know where it stems from. But like I was used to taking direction from a big sister or my mom or my dad, you know, and then in comes this, this figure, my ex, you know, that was kind of like embodying all of that. And, you know, I just blindly took his direction without really questioning exactly why I'm doing that and what's going on. So, yeah, definitely had some esteem issues to work on. Um, also, the fact that I was ripped away, so to speak, from my family at such a young age. Like I said, I was 16 when I left home. I'm glad that I got the education and the experience that I got in South Africa, but that was really young to be living alone. You know, so I had this child that wasn't that wasn't, uh, what is the word? Not baby. And I thought wasn't like allowed to really grow and come into her own before being pushed out into the world. Like go and, you know, go do you. You have to now. I, I went from one year, my dad has to sit, you know, with me as I study to now managing my own study schedule, choosing whether I can go to class or not, choosing, you know, what I do, who I hang out with. It was a lot to put on a 17-year-old and I guess, you know, the effects showed four years later when I made decisions like the ones that I did. Mm-hmm. So I guess during the whole time, did you, well, okay, you didn't, tell, you didn't tell anyone in your immediate community. Did you tell your family? No. You were living with a guy as well, so we might as well add one. Right. Oh <laughs> my gosh. Did you ever no. tell them? Like, yeah, what, did, have you, you, you I never told them? Okay. I don't, they don't know. Wait, my mom doesn't know today. My parents don't know today. But <sighs> okay, what did it's, you tell? It's, it's never come up. My sisters, I told you said, my wife. She said it's never come up. Well, of course it's never come up, girl. They're, they're not going to be like, um, too bad. Who, who, who is that man who was beating you? Like, really? <laughs> he actually did call my parents. Oh my goodness, so many layers to this story. But he like found my parents' number. And then he called them and he's like, oh, Tuba has stolen my thing. And, you know, I do so much for her. I do her laundry. And that kind of sparked a question in my mom's mind. Like, why does he do your laundry? I'm like, oh, because he has a washing machine. But, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you told your sister. Okay, so you told your sister. When did you tell your sister? Yes, I did. When? Uh, when I left in 2015, I was like, yo, you know that guy? Because she was like really fascinated. She was staying in Ukraine at the time. She was studying okay. in Ukraine. So yeah. I'm like, oh, you know that Nigerian guy? She was like, so she knew Nigerians. And she like asked me like, so we're like, he's a good guy. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah he's good. And, you know, she wasn't, she wasn't going to prod anything if I wasn't offering. But I was like, yeah, you know that Nigerian guy I was telling you about? Yeah, we broke up, you know, he he like slapped me and she's like what and she called me immediately and then that way well, I was just gonna tell her he slapped me and that's why I was gonna give people a very sanitized version yeah no, yeah, girl, and he slapped you like, you, right? 
Okay, and then and, she did one. And then she called me, and then I was like, yeah, actually, he did more than slap me. He was like, hit me, or she was like, you have to tell my English, that's our brother, you have to tell his friends. Thank you. Know, I'm like, but again, you know what, what the biggest thing I used to feel was shame. Mm-hmm. I was ashamed that I was in such a, such a situation like me. Mm-hmm. Come on, it's me. I'm, you know, like you said, educated, young, I've been here and there. And I used to feel ashamed to tell my story. Mm. It's like me definitely when I was in it, I was like, hell no, nobody's going to know. But even when I left for a long time, I couldn't talk about it because I was just ashamed. Because then Mm. people like very insensitively ask, why didn't you leave? It's not that easy, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Broken like that. It really isn't. So, yeah, it took me a while to open up to the rest of my sisters. I have five sisters. I'm seven Mm. of seven. Yeah, so it took me a while to open up to the rest of them. And even then, I would still be grappling with issues of shame. Like, I'm ashamed that I went through that and I allowed it. I mean, when they, when they did hear you telling, opening up and telling that story, what was their reaction? Oh, it was a mixed bag. You know, there was, of course, why did you leave? Why didn't you tell us? Where is he now? You know, are you, you know, have you moved on? Are you, are you fine? You know, they're almost like taking it like I've just told, like it just happened yesterday. I'm like, yeah, actually, it's been a couple of months now, you know. So, yeah, they were, you know, my sisters are very, I come from a very Christian home. So they would send me Bible verses. Oh, you should read this. You should read that. But then, especially then, I wasn't even open to it. I was very disillusioned with the whole thing. I'm like, oh, this is a waste. I should have never told them, you know. But they were doing the best. Being confronted with such a situation, like their baby sister, the baby of the house, was going through this. It was. It must have been strange for them to deal with as well. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, if mom does hear this, oh my goodness, I hope she's not home. <laughs> she's not. She's not. What are you gonna do, girl? What are you gonna do? Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. I should ask her that. Like, what are you gonna do? <laughs> I don't know, only kick me out of her house that she thankfully let me stay in for a year. (laughs) Okay, so um, what brought you back to Zambia? Ah, COVID. Yeah. So COVID happened, we started working from home 13th of March, 2020, and then it was actually, I was like, I had my routine on lock, you know, I would wake up at a certain time, do my Pilates in the morning, and then start work, have lunch, knock up at 4 p.m., not go anywhere. It was bliss. And then I went, I had like done, as a lot of people did, like done a lot of hoarding or, you know, bulk shopping, as I like to call it. So did that. That was good. You know, I never needed to leave the house until one time I needed to leave the house and it was just apocalyptic. It's masks everywhere. You know, shops are empty. I'm like, this, yeah, this feels very lonely. Then I think, I don't know what that did to me. And I just started thinking, I think I should go home. I think I should go home. Maybe just go visit home, go work from home for a little bit. I'm like, you know, they have, you've seen my mom's garden. It's beautiful. I'm like, I could work in her lovely garden, fresh air, quiet. So I came, I came down to visit them. Also, I hadn't seen them in, in some months. So December 2019, I was away. Yeah, I'd last seen them maybe like six months before, eight months before that year when I went to visit for my, when I came back for my friend's wedding, May 2019. I didn't see them, yeah, in a year, actually. So I came home, visited for like two months. Yeah, I, in my mind, it was supposed to be a two-month trip. 
then I came home and saw how much easier life in Zambia is, you know, relatively in comparing certain things, obviously. Every country has its challenges, but the community, living with my parents, the ability to like save even more, um, just that peace. And people were doing a lot better than I thought they were, to be honest. I was also battling with like I felt I felt left behind, you know, my friends, they were they were building, you know, they had multiple cars and I'm like, yikes to what are you doing? You know, I, I yeah, I felt like that. So I decided to stay. I decided to look for I started to look for jobs tentatively. I'm like, let me let's see what the bite. So I started looking out for jobs. Also, my job, it didn't help that my job in Joburg became really toxic. Like I just I couldn't do that. I was ready to leave. I just didn't know that I was ready to leave on such an extent. Like it just became really, but it went from my dream job where I never needed an alarm clock to, to get up to me having to just like push myself to get through the morning. Like, okay, just work till lunch. And then after lunch, you know, just, just work through the end of the day. You know, it was getting constant verbal abuse from my boss and none of my colleagues were happy. It was horrible. So I started looking for a job and thankfully I found one that was really good, you know, offering me way better conditions of service and they were also continue working we're continuing to work from home so there wasn't much of a transition so yeah I quit my one job on the Wednesday and Monday I logged into a new email from the same desk in my bedroom <laughs> yeah and it's been it's going to be one year on the 13th of July since I came back and it's it's been a great year I've loved it I really love especially towards the end of 2020 yeah, absolutely loved it. Okay, no, that's good. So I guess, um, do what would your uh, words of advice be to a young, impressionable woman that decides or family has shipped off to another country? <laughs> <laughs> to go and get you know, literally like to go and study and be like the you know the the streets are paved with God. Go there. <laughs> but what would your advice be to that young woman? First of all, this question makes me sad because I know that we're coming to the end of our interaction. If I have to give out words of advice. <laughs> And oh my goodness, so conflicted on this one. So very conflicted on this one because I would, my first thought is to take the opportunity, jump at it. It's a privilege to study outside of the country and you should recognize it for what it is. <clears throat> but at the same time, I think do your research. We have a lot more, they have a lot more resources now than we did back then. To be honest, I don't even remember Googling anything before the year 2012. I don't remember Google in my life as a thing. So I don't remember like really looking for stuff, doing research online properly. So I would say take the opportunity and do your research on how to healthily adjust to different cultures. The culture shock that you experience because it is real. How to deal with that, how to navigate, you know, your old friendships, which are now going to become long distance and how to make new friends. All of that, like I was, oh my goodness, I had the hardest time finding new friends when I was in first year. So try and do your research on that, perhaps reach out to more people. So take the opportunity and do research, do your research. That's what I'd say in a nutshell. Yeah, I agree. And I think 
For me, something that I um, have been trying to speak a lot more to is I feel that parents also need to take a bit more responsibility and not just be like, oh, um, because I'm sending her, I've been saving all this money, so I've done my part. So I just wash my hands. No, friend, no. <laughs> like you need to do the research. You also need to do the research. You also need to set up systems. So, you know, like, you know, have those conversations. Like if you find yourself, you know, with your child, if you find yourself in a situation that is dangerous make sure you tell us make sure that you know these are the people who you can call like you know what I mean set up those systems you you, I will not accept it anymore that a parent is just going to be like oh let me just send my child no no that is negligence Right. Absolutely. I, negligence. I'm, I'm trying to believe to, to agree with you on that one it's so true like we we go from especially Zambians we go from being you know, just Chulu or Tuba to being black in these countries. Do you know exactly. how jarring that is? We, in, here in Zambia, we have like two white people. We have, we don't know what racial issues are. Right. <laughs> and they live in Bukushi. <laughs> so you go, and now you're a black girl. Like, hey, uh-huh. okay. You know, and then like, everyone expects you to know exactly what that is like. Exactly, understand the exactly. context, understand, understand the history, the and you're right. like, understand uh, what should offend you, what shouldn't offend exactly. you. Exactly. Not right because we have to learn these things. We we do. <sighs> Rant over. I know. I know. It's like so much, and I'm just like, I would not accept people just sending their children anyhow. You know. That's true. To these countries, yeah. like you need yeah. to do the research. Like, you yes, do. it's a great opportunity that I wouldn't want to rob anyone of, but then to go in with open eyes, I think, and know that, you know, these things will affect their mental health, you yeah. know? And yeah, then really um, you're thinking that you're sending your child for four years and you're like, oh, it's only four years. But you know what? This has lifetime lasting effects. Then and what? And then you, exactly. And then you get surprised. Oh, my child is drinking all the time. Yeah, because the child is stressed they need out. To cope. Right? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, parents need to do better. Absolutely. Oh, goodness. Anyway. All right, love. Yes, we have come towards the end of the conversation however however just hold on okay so in africana women we have a little saying which is know your roots grow your purpose so i have some questions for you are you ready okay just say whatever comes to your to your mind yeah okay Okay. so what are you rooted to Mm. my culture Mm. tell us more uh, again, it became from came from realizing that I'm a black girl. Oh, <laughs> when I moved down, you know what I mean? Like you're talking to me at home, like me. Oh, okay. I'm just I'm just the girl that speaks Lamba and really ghetto Bemba in Zambia. Like that's me, you know. But I think being away and only having to speak English and learning two new South African languages, I needed to fit in, so I learned Sisutu and Zulu. Made me really, 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 wow! Because wow. <laughs> I, I, I can't like some of the names. I can't even twist my tongue that oh way. Oh my goodness! I know. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like then that gave learning these two additional languages gave me a much more deeper love 
for Lamba, which I'd grown up speaking, like by six years old, I was already trilingual. And I was like, man, this is actually something. I didn't realize how beautiful the gift my parents gave me to teach me Lamba, you know, as one of my very first languages. So my culture now, I'm like so interested in, in Lamba culture, where we came from. We came from Sudan. Can you believe it? And yes, Lamba wow. is a very feminist um very feminist tribe, our leader, Chembo, just uh-huh. like she couldn't anymore with the patriarchy from the, the I think it was, it was split from the members and she couldn't do it anymore. And she yeah. just left. She's like, I'm leaving. Left her yeah. husband, left the entire kingdom and went and started her own people in Congo. Oh, Started there. Yeah. And then, you know, some of us came down to the Northwestern province and then settled in the Copper Belt. But yeah, we are very matriarchal. We are a matriarchal society. And our, you know, I'd say we're all feminists because we stemmed from this lady Chembo. Wow! Wow! Okay, you just gave me a whole lesson right there. Okay, um, what is, <laughs> what are your favorite ways to nourish your mind, body, and soul? Reading, sleeping, chilling in the garden. Yeah, you know, this is where it is. <laughs> also me. Also me. Like. <laughs> Let's move in together. Like, I do this. We're always, I know, right? Yes, we're always like, oh, you're in the garden. Like, <laughs> I know, yes. I'm like, same vibe. I'm like, wow. I love it. I need to visit Kawi. You like, should. Oh my gosh. Yes, you should. Yes. Definitely. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> do you have a weakness that has now become your superpower? Oh. I have weakness that's become my superpower. Wait, I'm trying to think what my superpower is. Honesty. I used mm. to just say anything to anyone, and sometimes it would become a mulomo because I'm just trying to be honest with this person. Right. When it's not my story to tell, it's not my honesty to give. So right. it's like, yeah, too, but you have a big mouth. So maybe don't run it so much, you know. But that same honesty now has become, I, I don't sugarcoat stuff to people, mm-hmm. you know, tell them as it is. If it's not my place to tell them, not my place to tell them something, then I won't. But if it still bothers me, then I'll try and find my own perspective and be like, yo, I don't think you should do this. Or, yo, I think this is really good. Because, again, sometimes we think honesty is just being negative and giving negative feedback. No, I pray my, like, almost about maybe four or five when my friends call me the hype woman because I'm like honest about how excited I am for their accomplishments and their and their stuff. So yes, definitely honesty. I took it from being warm no more to being a hype woman. <laughs> yes, yes, girl, yes. Okay, and then the last question. What do you know as a certainty? Things will always get better. Ooh, yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I used to say that yeah. always, 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 always. I say that to myself in 2016 when I had lost my job. I was retrenched from my job, and then I was having visa issues. I was facing well, not deportation, but I was just like facing visa issues. You know, I could, I needed mm-hmm. to make a plan, and I was just telling myself the one thing about things is that they always get better, and they did, and they continue to do so. So things always. Always get better. Hey, thank 
you, my love. All right, you need to let people know where they can find you, what you are doing, because she has a fabulous blog. Let me tell you, this chick is um, very amusing. (laughs) You need to go find her blog. Okay, I'll let her tell you her story. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, so I'm a blogger. I still can't believe that I I get to say those words, and they're real. I'm a blogger. I have a lifestyle and travel blog called Stamped travelblog.com no stamplifestyleblog.com yeah um so you guys can go see my musings on www.stampedlifestyleblog.com my favorite article is one i wrote about livingston and the victoria falls so make sure you check that one out first <laughs> uh social media at tuvalemia tuva on instagram and valemie on twitter all right, you guys need to go check her out. I'll t- I'm telling you right now, you're going to love her. And she has like fabulous uh-huh. photos as well. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that I do. Thank you. Some of them weren't taken by me. You can tell the ones that were taken by me, to be honest. <laughs> like, out of focus. <laughs> All right, my love. Thank you so much for coming on the Africana Woman podcast. I have really enjoyed this conversation. Um, And I think, yes, yes, we still have a lot to talk about because we need to come and revisit um, working with toxic bosses and all of that stuff. Girl, we still got a conversation. Deconstructing your faith in a Christian home. So, yes, 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 yes. Because, yeah, I do have a a few (laughs) experiences and thoughts around that. <laughs> so yes no you are most welcome to come back i'm, I'm yeah i'm very excited thank you but thank, thank you. you i appreciate it oh this was fun thanks so much Chulu. until next time or in one job the key takeaways from tuba's story is that your defining moment may be a source of great shame for you Here was a university graduate from a very loving and stable home who found herself in an abusive relationship in a foreign country. As you heard, I kept asking her, why did you stay? And she said she was broken down by this man. I commend Tuba for getting out in the way that she saw best and then seeking healing and finally telling her story. I know her story has made some parents think twice about how they will support their children as they ship them off to universities in other countries. Her story also sparks conversations around how we bring up the last born in the families. Do we baby them? not just as parents, but even as siblings. A last born in my country is called a kasuli. So when we hear that someone is a last born, we say, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. That's why they behave like that. What? No, man. Give them the tools they need to assert independence and responsibility for their own actions. All in all, your story is not for you. It's for someone else to learn and to grow. I know you may be ashamed of what happened. And I suggest that to get over the shame, you have to forgive yourself. 
It is hard to stop blaming yourself and it may take some time. All I'm asking is that you commit to shedding the shame by forgiving yourself one step at a time, one day at a time. Okay? Please find Tuba on social media at tubalemye underscore Tuba. Tell her you heard her on the Africana Woman podcast. Thank you, dear listener, for making us part of your day by listening in. I truly appreciate you. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. You can find me on Instagram at Design. If you say hello, I always respond. Until next week, I want you to remember, know your roots, grow your purpose. This has been a production of Ulendo Creative Media. You can find out more about their services on www.ulendocreative.com.